You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. You can pair up if you like and you can fucking pick someone else to help you and you can bring your fucking dinner. Oh, a magnificent goal from Darren Huckabee! Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? It's Series 9, Episode 7, and we've got for you this week a correspondence special, because if we didn't take a couple of weeks break now, we would finish the series before Christmas, and let's face it, none of us wanted that. I'm Chris exactly. Gold, joining me, as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And a man who knows that the French translation for Frank LeBeouf is Frank the Beef, it's Michael Marden. Hello. It is international break this week, isn't it? It's international breaks, so that's what we've done. Oh yeah, th- yeah. Definitely not post-rationalised. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's international break. Also, for Quickly Kevin, um, we are going to take a break in January because what we don't want is to be doing Quickly Kevin while Michael is at the African Cup of Nations. <laughs> Jürgen Klopp's got big problems with that, hasn't he? <laughs> Michael's doing a podcast about African football in the 90s for the whole of January. Really and have to we haven't got the squad legs. depth. We haven't thought about this when we signed him up. Yeah, Taribo West is not the co-host I'd hoped. <laughs> I just went uh, co-host sought by free transfer and Tarubo West popped up. <laughs> so what we thought we'd do is uh, we're going to have a couple of weeks off, but we've got so much great correspondence and 90s o'clock news that we just thought we'd, we'd put that out for you here. A little more if you're on the Patreon, so enjoy that. But shall we get straight into it? Right, it's time for 90s o'clock news. Headquarters of ITN News at 10 with Chris Scull. September 96 Goal of the Month emerges. Brian Roy convicted for threatening to shoot the Dutch Prime Minister. And I text the wrong Michael a picture of Frank LeBeouf. <laughs> Three very strong headlines. I think we all, can all agree on that. Where to begin? Let's begin. September 96, Goal of the Month. Carol Poborski won Goal of the Month. We discussed this last week. We, as we discussed last week. We thought it was the worst ever Goal of the Month. But here's the thing. I've actually got the 
goal of the month. Oh. I've, like, thank you to Sam Huxley who sent this in. He's given us the shortlist from goal of the month. And to be fair, well, I just... Do you remember any of these goals? Uh, Richie Humphreys. Oh, well, there we go. He always scored a screamer in September, didn't September, he? September, it's early early in the season, so of course he's going to be scoring a, a world. It's, it's Humphreys season, before he's going <laughs> to his classic um, hibernation for the winter. Um, <laughs> we could just talk about them, see if you remember any of these goals. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're good then. Richie Humphreys is all right. It's a chip over the keeper. I would argue that's probably the best goal. Yeah. You had uh, Jacob Larson, which is just uh, for Derby against Man United, just... Uh, just a free kick. Do you think it was a, having watched them? Do you think it was a bad month for goal of the month? Yeah. If you'd been sat there, and we didn't discuss this last time, I'd be interested to discuss this. When I was a kid, I really imagined that Alan Hansen, I, yes. Trevor Brooking, yes. and Loro, whoever, Loro, Jimmy Hill, were like sat in a room having long debates into the night with like. Get some more pizzas in because with this debate, I'm arguing till two a.m. for Poborski. <laughs> yeah, I picture it like twelve angry men, like yeah. Hanson is just unflinching. <laughs> and now I, having worked in television and worked in other jobs in which things like this are put together, I'm not 100 percent sure that some work experience kid hasn't just been asked. Could you just choose your favourite three there? We'll just say, do you know what I mean? Like. What do you think? Yeah, I used to read so much into it because when they would reveal, like, uh, Des would reveal what goal of the month was, he would turn to the panel and go, uh, Alan and Lauro agree, it's this. And I would always, like, try and analyse their faces to see if there was agreement between the two. Because, <laughs> like, they can't be aligned every month. Like like a cabinet member who's got to support a policy, an unpopular policy <laughs> yeah, for their job. Yeah. Lauro's having They to... present a united front. <laughs> they would always present... Whatever goes on in the goal of the month meeting room we come out as a united front and we back the decision we've made we back it do you know what you were just talking then because i used to think as well like what was that room like when they decide go of the month what's the meeting like and it's like in my head it's the same kind of setup as like when you see obama in the bin laden raid it's like they're in that room lots of heads and clipboards looking at big screens like it's a serious the nation is waiting do you know the other the other two I'd like to discuss on that? And anyone who's got any details on how these things ran, the dubious goals panel was another one I was absolutely fascinated with. Who was involved in the dubious goals panel? And also, what a name for a thing! Surely you can do better than the dubious goals panel. Imagine dropping that. You're in a bar trying to chat up a lady. Hey, what's your job? I'm on the dubious goals panel. <laughs> do I remember this right? Or was wasn't Frank Clark on the Dubious Goals panel? <laughs> I mean, I can't offer anything on that. Let's just say yes. Because I don't. <laughs> where, where are you pulling that from if that's not true? Yeah. It's also, it's a reasonable name. If you'd gone, do I remember this right? Wasn't Gabrielle on the Dubious Goals panel? <laughs> I can't remember. I'm not. I'm a bit dubious. But also, the other one is, of course, the, um, the Pools panel. Yeah. The pools panel who'd meet to give you the result of your team on a Saturday if you weren't playing for the for the, for the football pools. Yeah. If anyone has any information on these things, how they ran, whether they were a thing or whether they were just made up, just, you know, and just some work experience, we'd love to know. How many people on the pools panel? Yeah. Do you think it's like 12? It's like a jury. Yeah. <laughs> of your peers. Yeah. <laughs> 
Frank Clark will probably find his way on that as well, knowing him. And, the, and before they select the pools panel, each lawyer is allowed to dismiss anyone that they think is uh, is biased in any way. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's heard of like any of the teams beforehand, then they uh, then they dismiss them like a. Uh, Anyone that was aware of OJ Simpson wasn't allowed to be on the jury or whatever it was. And, and Gerald, I always thought the Paul's panel would meet on a Saturday morning to discuss, but that wouldn't make any sense because they'd probably meet midweek, wouldn't they? Well, would they? Because they need to know what game's on or off. Are they doing yeah. it for all the games? Are they bothering in August? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it, When does the Paul's panel kick in? November? Yeah. December at the earliest, maybe? Oh, really? It's not there from day one? It doesn't start on the... Well, how many games are getting called off on August? <laughs> See what you mean. Yeah, one lower league game in the Scottish Highlands, and they're all having to oh, come yeah. in to discuss oh, it. Oh, God, yeah, they're going to have to come in. going to have to rent a meeting room at, at Soho Square, and they're going to have to discuss... <laughs> do you think they factor in, like, team selection and injuries and form and stuff? Yeah, how much do they give a shit? <laughs> do you... <laughs> Or like one week, one of them's got their own pools that they've submitted and one result means the difference between them winning a lot of money. They're like, no, I really think Queen of the South would have got a draw against Rangers. I'm, I'm certain of it. Do you think it's like jury duty? Do you think you get a letter through the post and you've been called up to the pools panel for this week? <laughs> but I didn't know anything about football. It's all going to be there. You'll have all the stats. Imagine the meeting of the last pools panel. It's definitely happened, isn't it? Why is the pause still going? The pause is probably still here. The pause panel's gone. This is the longest main story we've ever done. <laughs> Do you know what baffles me about this show? Quickly, Kevin. And I'm absolutely baffles me about it. Is that um, we think we've exhausted it. We're on a mid-season break. And suddenly we've managed to talk for 10 minutes about the pause <laughs> panel and the dubious goals panel. And you go, is 90s football infinite? I've just Googled pause panel. And oh my God. I just wanted to see what images of the pools panel. I'm going to text you now one of the images you see when you when you look at um, pools panel. Should I should I say the words? We'll put this on our Instagram before you've even texted yes. it. Yes. <laughs> this is exactly what I imagined the pools panel was. Look at this. Isn't it exactly the pools oh, panel? Oh wow, that's amazing. So it's like a de- It's like a bench. Oh wow! Look Tom, at that. Tom, Tom Finney is Tom on Finney. the pools panel. It kind of looks like the UN. <laughs> <laughs> Like, they've got big nameplates, Tom Finney's in it, Tommy Lawton, and they've got sheets of paper microphones in front of them. This is like, it's like almost like a mini parliament. Yeah, that is amazing. I suppose back in the day, when's that? Tom Finney's, what, 45, 50 there? Tom Finney's in the 50s? So yeah. what's that, the 60s or the 70s? That's what's like the 60s, doesn't it? Yeah. I suppose in the 60s, a lot of games are getting called off for bad weather in the 60s, right? In the winter. <laughs> Yeah. So so the Paul's panel's working really hard. <laughs> God. Uh, th- here's another image as well that I've seen. That, uh, this is less like what I imagined the Paul's panel would be. This is obviously a photo shoot. Oh, this is a, from a photo shoot to celebrate the 50th birthday of the Paul's panel. Oh, my word. Is that Gordon Banks? That is Gordon Banks. Yeah. That's Gordon Banks. Do tell us who the other two are. That is, well, any of the other five, really. Um, <laughs> you'll see that on our Instagram <laughs> At Quickly Kevin on Instagram. We'd love to know more about the Pools panel, the Dubious Goals panel, and what we originally started talking about, which was, do Alan Hansen and Trevor Brooking, did they meet to discuss Goal of the Month? Did they give a shit? What's the second news story, Skull? So anyway, just I'll rattle through the rest of the goals of the month. So we had uh, Michael Hughes scored for West Ham against Middlesbrough, like 30-yard thumper. Carol Boborski's obviously the winner. Chad John Salarko, it's just, just a 
Not a very good goal. Andy Townsend scores a, a free kick in September 96. Really quite inventive. There's a nice little... Uh, they do that thing where there's three people stood in front of a free kick just outside the box. Yeah. Andy Townsend is one of those three people just stood in front of the free kick. But the taker then knocks it and he runs around and like scores a top goal to, uh, right in the top bins. Oh. Patrick Berger versus Liverpool versus Leicester. Georgios Donis. Played for, uh, that was a long dribble, I remember. A long dribble. Goal. And Les Ferdinand was just a bang average goal. Uh, two things. That is a bad month. And we would love anyone to get in touch if you think you've seen a worse winner of goal of the month than Karl Poborski September 96 against Leeds. But also, I know this is a thing I've said before, and I know I'm a broken record. There used to be so much more variety in goal of the month. <laughs> now it's just long shots. It's just long shots, and it's just not as good. Anyway, what's the next story? Brian Roy has been convicted for threatening to shoot the Dutch Prime Minister. Oh no, I mean, it's always going to go that way. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, he's getting a lot of hot water, isn't he, Brian Roy, at the minute? So yeah. he, he, he's he been convicted. He was sentenced in The Hague. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like Slobodan Milosevic? Yeah, in the same halls of justice as Serbian despots. Brian Roy is facing justice. There was actually confusion because they, they said to Brian Roy, um, previous case, here was Slobodan Milosevic. And he said, what, the guy who played for Aston Villa while I was at Forest? <laughs> he's, been, he's got a suspended prison sentence and will have to carry out community service for tweeting the Dutch Prime Minister with a Dutch phrase which translates as, you'll get your head shot soon. Wow. 80 hours of community service. Oh, wow. I mean, he's off the rails, isn't he? Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame. No more heroes. No more heroes. Have you got something to cleanse the palate? And finally, well, this one, and finally. So uh, in our, in our in the last episode, we unearthed the terrific fact that Frank LaBeouf plays Stephen Hawking's doctor in The Theory of Everything. Yeah. And in my excitement to take a picture of Frank LaBeouf playing the doctor, I sent it to the wrong Michael on my phone. And, and then... So Michael Martin doesn't know this, but I was involved in this group that was me you tom crane and a michael who was the michael that received it yeah it's a guy i work with called michael maxwell so that he's is <laughs> right next to michael's name and in my excitement of discovering frank LeBeouf in this film i text it and then i got a, re- a reply from the the wrong michael yeah with the words very on brand random message <laughs> so even <laughs> he clocked it was frank LeBeouf. Imagine receiving a picture of Frank LaBeouf from The Theory of Everything. <laughs> in a group. In a group. Out of nowhere. And you didn't know any of the other numbers. You don't know who else is involved in it. I'd be so delighted to receive that picture. I would take it in any group. Here's, here's a fun game for listeners. Yeah. Send that picture to a random contact in your phone. Apropos of nothing. Don't say anything. See what they respond, yeah, and screen grab and send it to us. What, yeah, what is the do. funniest response to a random picture yeah. of Frank LeBeouf from a Quickly Kevin listener? And um, you can get the picture because we have put it on our Instagram, it's there on our Instagram, so you can screen grab it from the Quickly Kevin Instagram at Quickly Kevin. And that is the 90s o'clock news skull. That's it. Well, let's get into the electronic post bag because we've got so much. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. This is the problem, right? The first few weeks of the series, you get the right amount of electronic post bag. By episode six, the momentum of the series means there's so much good stuff coming in. Particularly when you're talking about strikers with terrible goal-scoring records. 
So, Michael, strap in. I've got some bad news. Okay. You defended, obviously, Brian McClare. Yes? Yeah, willingly. I think it was a very unfair criticism of his ability. Okay. This is from Craig Elland. I would like to offer up the controversial choice of Mark Hughes as having a poor goal-scoring record. Okay. Regarded as a legendary striker, he's actually pretty rubbish. Hughes scored... 164 goals in 606 games at club level. Only 16 in 72 internationals. That is a goal every 3.68 games. Garbage. And it would be much worse if you didn't include volleys. Love the pod. (laughs) Craig from Preston. Wow. Well, well, well. That's quite a damning record. And I don't have my usual go-to defence in that he wasn't someone who played deeper in his career. He did play for some very big teams at their peak. Yeah, like you could you could argue the Wales thing. He was in he wasn't, but he was in a great Wales team. He had rush. He had speed at points. He had um, Neville Southall, Kevin Ratcliffe. I mean, these are good. He's not in a he's not in a shit team. Barry Horn. I don't need to go on. <laughs> he was the out and out striker. You know, one of the reasons why, uh, which we didn't touch on with McClare, was that as well as Cantona coming later, we signed Hughes. Uh, I think possibly in his second season, third season, McClare's second or third season. So Hughes became the focal point in terms of strikers. So he should have a better record. Yeah, I mean, I, you know what? I I offer no defence. I think guilty. I think that's... It's, um, it's guilty! Send, send him Send him to the Hague. Send him to the Hague. Enjoy your community <laughs> service with Brian Roy, Mark. Your record is unacceptable. Come meet your cellmate. It's Brian Roy. Well, are you going to send the following strikers to the Hague? <laughs> Tony Agana. Hi, guys. Great podcast. Thought I'd chip in with a bad striker records debate. This is from Andrew Hefferman. I'm a Notts County fan. At our height, we were flying high around 1991 under Neil Warnock. We're in the old Division 1. We made the marquee signing of Tony Agana from Sheffield United for a club record fee of £750,000. He played for Notts County for seven years. And in 145 games, he scored 15 goals. What? That is... a Basically a goal every 10 games. Bloody hell. Surely one of the worst real striker <laughs> records of all time. Buying that one, Michael? Sending him down to the Hague? Yeah, I mean, I, I offer zero defence. That's just unacceptable. It's just not a good enough record. But surely, like, I could score. Do you know what I mean? Couldn't one of it... If we were playing up front that amount of games? 15 goals. He's basically scoring two goals a season over seven years. I just think you would, wouldn't you? I wonder. I don't know whether he was... A duff player, like he was a, a signing that had gone wrong and then they had him for a while and he was in and out of the team. I don't know whether that's true. However, this cannot be said of Stephen Fletcher of Bournemouth. So this is from Richard Maiden. As an AFC Bournemouth fan, your recent discussions on strikers with awful goal-scoring records immediately conjured up one name. Bournemouth legend Steve Fletcher. He is regarded as a hero in these parts and is our record appearance maker. And not a mighty 726 appearances for the club over the space of 21 years. In all of those appearances, he scored just 122 goals, a record of one in six games. This might not sound appalling, but Fletcher was a real out-and-out striker, proper old-school target man who was decent in the air. Despite this record, he's considered a club legend, is still there today as a coach, and even has a home stand named after him. <laughs> <laughs> He was also awarded the Sir Tom Finney Award in 2014 by the English Football League for exceptional contribution. 
Yeah, the award is a place on the pools panel. He <laughs> <laughs> scored the goal that kept us in the Football League in 2009. Still downs, dines out on it to this day. But he doesn't gloss over his shoddy goal-scoring record. That is appalling, isn't it? I think it's appalling in the context of having a stand. Yeah. That's crazy. Like a celebrated club hero. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's a really strange world we live in, guys. <laughs> is it? Are we just sort of unaware that below an elite level... Actually, that's not a bad scoring record. And, and the people that do score one in two, one in three, are actually so far beyond 99% of everyone below them that that, that isn't an abnormality. Well, I, I think the thing is, like, I, I'm sure someone would be able to answer this. I can't remember the last time Plymouth had a player that scored 20 goals in a season. Well, that on that Brian McClare point, he was the first player since George Best to score 20 goals in a season for Manchester United. Yeah, so perhaps it is far more difficult than we think and actually far more credit should be given to the people that do and less of an attack by us and our listeners on the people that are only getting, you know, one in four, one in five. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see what you mean. But I would give you Roberto Rosario, who, uh, Brian Clough, uh, this is from Ro- Roger Hunter, Nottingham Forest fan living in Bundaberg, Australia and a Patreon XJ8 member. On the subject of rubbish strikers, can I please bring to your attention... Robert Rosario, he scored 30 goals in 214 games of top flight football. Jesus. That's a goal every 7.13 games. Clubs, Norwich, Wolves on loan, Coventry, 600 grand transfer, finally Nottingham Forest. He will also be remembered as Brian Clough's last ever signing, signed to replace Teddy Sheringham and save the club for relegation. (laughs) Neither happened. That is from Roger Hunter. It's just mad when, when... Like Forrest signing him as a replacement for Teddy Sheringham when he's already got a terrible goal record. Like, yeah, I just don't understand why that happens. I don't think people have good goal records very often. Is that what we've discovered? Yeah, <laughs> possibly. What What would be interesting to know is like they aren't scoring an average amount of goals every season. There'd probably be a season where if your record is that low, he might have scored 15 or 20 in a season. So actually, subsequent seasons, he's only getting two or three so his record is actually far worse on paper when you take away the the average so someone like rosario unless he scored two goals a season every season there's probably seasons where he scored none or one i i wonder whether if you have a good season you're dining out on it for three years do you know what i mean yeah you're the player that has it in them but they can't get it back yeah and goals are such a commodity that there are more strikers needed than there are good strikers available so competent or okay strikers as long as you're sort of physically up to it you're going to keep getting signed you're going to keep getting the job because elite strikers there aren't enough of them to go around how often has a player scored 20 goals for you Skull? oh man John Hartson I don't even know if he got to 20 I think John Hartson in 98 was as close as we got yeah can you not remember one since <clears throat> no it's definitely oh, no definitely not maybe what we're, what we're seeing is actually if a player scored 20 goals in a season for Plymouth all of the fans would be like, well, he's going to leave because he's brilliant. He's amazing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Club legends very rarely have a goal every other game. Maybe what we've got to do here, guys, is admit we were wrong. <laughs> and Mark Hughes has made us realise that maybe being a striker is more difficult than we thought. But here's why I will not acknowledge that. Because that would t- tacitly mean I have to acknowledge Roberto Baggio can be forgiven for his appalling goal record. So I will never cave on this this point. On a technicality. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Last week we discussed 
a lot of managers looking very grey in the 90s. Would you like two from Matt Hamilton? Yes, please. Get on your Google image search skull. Yeah. Are you going to accept the following two? Dave Merrington of Southampton. Oh, wow. Yeah, accepted. (laughs) Although he's got ginger hair in the 90s. So there there is some colour to his person. But yes, he is grey. I will accept it into the grey-skinned Hall of Fame. And Ian Bramford. Oh, yes. Yes. Very much of the type. (laughs) There we go. We'll put them on our Instagram, uh, add them to the Hall of Fame of Skulls Believe There Was a Lot of Managers with Very Grey Faces in the (laughs) 90s. This is from Leo Warsdale. Hi, Chris, Michael and Josh. Your mention of Bruce Rioch on the recent podcast reminded me that for a long time, I thought Coventry City's ground, formerly known as the Rico Arena, was actually the Rioch Arena and named after Bruce Rioch. A quick Google search showed me that the ground was named in 2005. So I was 20 at the time of believing this. Cheers, Leo Warsdale. I remember thinking that was a coincidence. I remember every time the, the Rico Arena was mentioned, I'd think of Bruce Rioch as well. It would have been a very strange decision. Was it not called the Rioch Arena? <laughs> Are you being funny? No, no, I'm not being funny. Genuinely. <laughs> I also thought... <laughs> I thought it was the... Oh, God. No, it was the Rico Arena, wasn't it? I thought... <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm in the same camp as our listener. Yeah. You thought it was named after Bruce Rioch? Yeah, I never questioned it because I would have... Yeah, I'm in, exactly, I'm, not, I'm in exactly the same camp. <laughs> I just figured he was a club legend who ended up like, you know, <laughs> a managerial on board level. and they'd. When did you think Bruce Rioch had done all his good work at Coventry? Before or after his time at Arsenal? I didn't care enough to dig into it or have the knowledge base. <laughs> Like, if it, if it were Manchester United, I'd be like, oh, that's weird. But, like, with other clubs, you just go, oh, right, yeah, no, he must just be, like, part of the boot room at Coventry or something like that. He's probably won the European Cup with them or something. That is amazing. Yeah, it's close, isn't it? Until this moment, you thought that Coventry had named their ground after Bruce Rio. <laughs> I, I still don't believe they didn't. Rio Carina. <laughs> uh, who, in his career, has, has never managed or played for Coventry. I've just checked. So there we go. He did do two years at Seattle Sounders and then moved to Torquay United, which must have been a huge culture shock. But there we go. <laughs> well, then he ma- then he meant to manage Torquay and then went back to Seattle. What what a move! <laughs> you know, uh, when he was at Seattle, he was a uh, he was a guest star in an episode of Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was still managing. Rioch was still managing in two thousand and eight AAB, which a uh, Danish team. Yeah, that feels like another era, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like he should be managing in two thousand and eight. Um, I don't know who this was, and I do apologise for not using their name, but they did write in to correct me that I was wrong that Bruce Rioch wasn't brought in to keep the seat warm before Arsene Wenger, and he was brought in because he'd done so well at Bolton, and then he instantly fell out with Ian Wright when he told Ian Wright that he should play more like John McGinley. <laughs> is that true? That's <laughs> yes, what this email said. Uh, and then he brought in Bergkamp and Platt, but he got sacked because of his unreasonable player demands the following summer. So... Um, According to this email. Have you ever heard the story that D- David Moyes, when he took over Man United, sat down Rio Ferdinand and showed him a video of Phil Jagielka and said, this is what you need to do? Amazing. <laughs> that is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Sean Derrick. Gentlemen, following on from last week's story about the student union penalties, I feel I must share my Shilton penalty anecdote. It must have been around 1998 when my family was doing some shopping in the centre of Bristol we stumbled across a goal which had been assembled to promote a new fragrance of Old Spice. 
and children will be invited to step up to face the fearsome England legend, Peter Shilton. Up steps my sister, who would have been 12 or 13, and although small, was a very accomplished footballer. But Shilton wasn't to know this. He was doing the grobble our legs, waving his arms, and watched in horror as she rifled the ball past him. He then made to take another one, which he aggressively turned away. No doubt chastened by the whole experience, he then clawed away my effort from right in the corner. Two things have been learned. One, you can't fool Shilton twice. Two, if he deviates from his method, he lets them in. <laughs> Cheers, lads. Sean. Peter Shilton, for someone so bad at penalties, really built a lot of his kind of post-playing earnings around saving penalties from the members of the public, seemingly. <laughs> it's, it's an odd decision, isn't it? You just reminded me. Um, I've got some more Peter Shilton stuff this week. Thank you for Jill91Corby on Twitter, who, who sent me a magazine article. And it's hard to say what year it is. But again, it's Peter Shilton talking about the formation of this new penalty-saving technique he's got. Shall I read you a little bit? Yeah. So he says, The greatest compliment a goalkeeper can ever be paid is for people to actually expect him to save penalties. This is from his regular column called Keep Up With Shilton. And I always think of this whenever it's mentioned that I've never managed to stop one in a senior match since I joined Nottingham Forest. I don't think find this is a particularly starting statistic. and I'm sure there are plenty of goalkeepers up and down the country who can match it over the last three years. At the same time, though, I'd love to be able to change things, and I reckon I'm about to save a few. In fact, I thought the turning point had come when I saved two in a pre-season training match against Notts County, but it was not to be. Since then, I've been beaten a few times, notably in European matches, where we have a remarkable record of conceding penalties. In nine away games in Europe, including our Super Cup match, we have let through six goals, and four of these have come from spot kicks. And while I'm on the subject of European ties, I must this confess... This is mad. This is like Rafa Benitez's facts press I know. conference. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. I am in fear of, of being asked to show my prowess as a penalty stopper in the most testing way possible. If a tie finishes level after the two legs and the away goals rule doesn't settle things, the game goes into extra time, and after that, it's all down to a penalty shootout. I've been spared that situation up to now, but if I am confronted with a penalty playoff in the semi-finals against Ajax, I'll be employing my new approach. Silly as it may sound, I reckon I have tried too hard to stop people scoring from the spot. I have now decided it's much better to tell myself that they will score anyway. Oh, God, Peter. But I'm going to do everything in my power to make it difficult for them. In this way... I'm sure I will feel more relaxed and that that will benefit me because I will be more agile. He finishes with this. I'll let you know whether my system works when I have course to use it. That is astonishing. That is the ramblings of someone. I'm not saying he is, but it sounds like the ramblings of someone at 1am who's really letting out all this stuff that's been in his head for a long time. Do you know what I mean? If that was actually smeared in excrement on his walls, I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) But, But also he says like goalkeepers like up and down the country share a similar record yeah i'm sure they do but you were the number one england goalkeeper i think it's fair to expect that your record is slightly better than every other goalkeeper up and down the country in any league yeah if you were to see that piece of writing today it would be on a facebook post that said read more on it and it would have like (laughs) people just going like his mates going i believe in you peter i think you're great all that kind of stuff below it and it would be and he'd really regret putting it up and it would disappear in the morning. The line that gets me, I have tried too hard to stop people scoring from the spot. What? 
Yeah. We've lost the World Cup because of this attitude. He's the only goalie who's ever psyched himself out on penalty <laughs> shootouts. <laughs> do, do you know what, as well? It's like, I don't know, I don't know whether to believe this because it's so on the nose. It's like Hitler's, it's like finding Hitler's diary or something like that. It's like, well, this is it. This is why we lost to West Germany. It's there in black and white. <laughs> Elliot Kerr, afternoon chaps. This, this is a little detail we missed. I've just finished listening to the Andy Bramer episode. I haven't learned as much from a podcast ever before. Rudy Voller's nickname, Mateus wearing Maradona's boots in a World Cup final, or about Otto Regal and what a genius he was. So we're, we're aware that Bremer was in the team of Kaiserslautern that went down, went straight back up, and then won the league in the first season. Oh, uh, yes. I know. Yeah, I know who he is now. That didn't tweak at the time. Yeah. Yeah, neither do I. Do you know who he is, Skull? What is that? Who, who again? Otto Regal, who was the manager of Kaiserslautern when they did that, was also the manager of Greece when they won Euro 2004. Oh! Yeah. Isn't that mad? That's crazy. Elliot writes, that is equivalent of Ranieri winning the league with Leicester in 2016 and the Euros with Scotland this year. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's really mad, isn't it? Yeah. Question for the lads. Would you rather England had lost the Euros on penalties to Italy or Ranieri leading the Tartan army to glory? (laughs) I'm quite happy with how the Euros ended. Thank you very much, please, Elliot. Keep up the good work, and I'm all for more 90s foreign tales on the podcast. I will DM Lothar Mateus later this week. Another loose end that we should tie up is we discussed why there was no hernias anymore. Hi, guys. Not the most exciting email you will ever read, but I've just listened to the Caroline Barker pod. I'm a physio, and I'm responding to your question about hernias. These days, core strength work... I'm, and he's put in brackets, I'm not sure Mark Bosnich's low-fat pizza and milk diet would work these days, is so important and a huge part of players' gym work, so hernias are less common. Also, if they do get them, the surgery is so quick and simple compared to the 90s, they recover quickly too. Robbie Slater, see you later, Ben. There we go. <laughs> wow. So we, we said that about course. We went a million miles. I think I'm quite pleased with that. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. You know, not everything has to be a hilarious story about Peter Shilton <laughs> humiliating himself. <laughs> And to end in a nice way for Peter Shilton, this is John Tiernan. Hello, guys. Not sure this is mentioned before, so perhaps akin to diving after a penalty has been struck, but I thought I should share the story of when Peter Shilton scored a Football League goal. In looking at players with over 1,000 official appearances, it was no surprise to find Peter Shilton as the player at the top of the list, but I was pleasantly surprised to discover, amongst his 1,387 appearances, the adjacent column marked with goals on his Wikipedia article Red one. Yes. A little digging led to the finding that the said goal was scored during a game for Leicester against Southampton in 1967. He was playing in 1967. That's mad. That's the year after we won the World Cup. <laughs> Fucking, that is insane. Also, someone sent in some facts about Peter Shilton from a magazine. We could only have so much Shilton content. But um, one of the things was, you know, is England's or is he still or he certainly was England's appearance record holder? Is Beckham now? Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's got like 125 appearances for two years. Did you know this? He would have more appearances, Peter Shilton, because for two years, who was the manager of England before Bobby Robson, the one that was the West Ham guy? Ron Greenwood, for two years, didn't know who his best goalie was out of Shilton and Ray Clements. So we'll just alternate them each game. Isn't that mad? <laughs> That's no good, is it? <laughs> that is That's not really a good, good sign of management. Anyway, a little digging. 1967, it was an 89th minute goal. Given Josh's ridicule of Shilton's inability to play out from the back, my mind wondered if he had perhaps scored a bullet header in injury time or maybe even fisted in an equaliser from a late corner. 
But here is the story of the goal as told by Leicester City Football Club historian John Hutchinson. Not Don Hutchinson. Shilton punted the high ball from the edge of his penalty area. It bounced on the edge of the Southampton box and high over the head of the advancing Southampton goalkeeper. However, Shilton did not even know he had scored due to it being a misty winter's day. (laughs) Describing the goal, Shilton said, I kicked the ball down the middle and lost sight of it. I saw big Mike Stringfellow chasing it and I thought it was him who had scored. I thought I'd just done a big kick. In the dressing room... I thought I'd done a big kick. (laughs) In the dressing room, the lads were saying I scored. I thought they were taking the mickey. We had to catch a train back to Leicester at about five o'clock. It wasn't until I saw it on the black and white news when I got home that I knew I'd scored. Nobody remembers my goal, though, because the week before, Pat Jennings had scored against Alex Stepney at Old Trafford, and that was on match of the day. So that was in 1967 he scored that goal. Yeah. So how old was he in Italian 90? 40. But Michael, I'm just about to talk about this because I just brought up the Wikipedia to verify what we're about to, what we're talking about here. He made his debut in May 66 at 16 years old. But he made his professional debut before we'd even won the World Cup, right? <laughs> That's mad. And here's That's another mad. thing. He's born on the 18th of September 1949, which means he turned 30 in 1979. <laughs> Which means in the World Cup he was forty years old at Italia ninety, just about to turn forty one a couple of months later. That's amazing. And he played on till nineteen ninety seven, so he was forty eight when he retired. That is amazing. That is incredible. This is before the days when you could have a forty year old goalkeeper. Yeah, like David James did it after a lifetime of kind of training and dietary and like a proper regime around you. Schiltz. In 1990, 41. That's crazy. It reminds me of, and I know repeating other people's stand-up routines is never never as funny as seeing them, but uh, the brilliant comedian John Kearns had a routine I saw him do about not being on Saturday Night TV and watching an episode of Dad's Army being repeated on Saturday Night TV and Googling the guy who played Private Godfrey who had been born while Queen Victoria was still on the throne. And he's like, there's a Victorian on Saturday night TV. This man is a Victorian. He's like, if you said to him, when he was a Victorian, that you'll be on Saturday night TV playing um, a World War II soldier, he'd have gone, wait a minute, World War II? And also, what's TV? Yeah, what's TV? Oh, man alive. Peter Shilton, the yeah. gift... That keeps on giving. He is such a... Like, so much depth to him, isn't there? You can just keep finding stuff. You just can't stop, can you? And do you know what? I'm just Googling because I just need to just double-check this because I did watch it on TV. Yes, it was Private Godfrey. Yes, you're thinking of the right one. No, no, no. (laughs) I don't know whether this is the wrong thing to say. So... Should we have a Patreon vote on what we should watch next week for the watch along? Because one of the options is there's a 56-minute documentary called The Peter Shilton Story. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Put it to the Patreon vote. Okay. So I've just remembered that I watched this thing once when I got in drunk and it was amazing. And it is on YouTube. And I haven't watched this in years. I watched it on TV, I should say. I wasn't putting Peter Shilton into YouTube. So we're not on next week. We uh, are having our mid-season break next week. Uh, there is, uh, for Patreon listeners, there is a Patreon watch-along episode that will come out next week. What are we going to do, guys? 
We were going to do My Summer with Des, weren't we? My Summer with Des. However, I think we'll put it to a vote on our Twitter for the Patreon episode for next week. Are we going to do My Summer with Des or a 56-minute video on YouTube that is called The Peter Shilton Story? Wow. I mean, that's that's an interesting matchup. I could see that going either way. That could go either. Which way do you think it will go, Michael? Oh, well, I, I was when you said about the Peter Shilton thing, I thought hands down Peter Shilton. But what you've done is you put another heavyweight in the ring there. I think the nostalgia of my summer with Des is very, very strong. It's going to be a huge vote. Yes. It's going to be Brexit, let's be honest. <laughs> Which Shilton will be delighted about. <laughs> He's going to win by 52% then. <laughs> let's be honest, we'll probably do the other one the month after. So don't get too excited, don't get too worried. But, um,. Thank you for listening. Um, our mid-season break means that we'll have the legs to get through to Christmas, guys. We will uh, see you uh, in a couple of weeks. We might put out a little bonus episode of some sort next week just to fill in the gap, hopefully. Is that the aim? Yeah. If you want to get in touch with the show, this is how. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin. And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. If you want more Quickly Kevin, do head over to our Quickly Kevin fan club, which is on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash quicklykevin. We're going to be doing either My Summer with Des or Peter Shilton next week on the Patreon, on the Quickly Kevin fan club. And also, if you love Quickly Kevin, there is now so much exclusive content over there from my favourite clips through to 10 chapters now of the Steve Bruce book. It costs hundreds of pounds on Amazon and eBay. You can listen to the full thing. And we've got loads of great watch-alongs. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash quicklykevin if you want plenty more Quickly Kevin. Until then, Robbie Slater, see you later. Go let Hit Ledge! Hit Ledge over the top! This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.